You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Half hour. Hello and welcome to Half Hour, an entertainment podcast through Two Worlds Entertainment. I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. And we're here to bring you casual conversations on the shows, concerts, movies, events that we see and observe throughout our careers. We would like to let you know that this conversation will feature spoilers on what we are about to talk about. So if you have not seen the content that we're discussing today, please make sure you pause right now and go see it (laughs) and then come back because we are warning you there will be lots of spoilers here today. Yes. Today we are talking about the brand new Broadway musical Paradise Square at the Ethel Barrymore Theater in New York City. This is uh, we actually are seeing one of the first production, um, one of the first performances of this Broadway production. It did have an out of town tryout. It is here now, um, of only a few weeks in, fresh on a new run, and we are really, really excited to be talking about that today, and happy to have seen it. Um, a few. Bits of information. Paradise Square is a new musical with book by Christina Anderson, Craig Lucas, and Larry Kerwin, with music by Jason Howland, and lyrics by Nathan Tyson and Masi Asare. Conceived by Larry Kerwin, additional music by Larry Kerwin, inspired in part by the songs of Stephen Foster. With scenic design by Alan Moyer, uh, costume design by Tony Leslie James, lighting design Donald Holder, Sound design, John Weston. Projection design, Wendell K. Harrington and Sean Edward Boyle. We have lots of all, oh, hair and makeup, Matthew B. Armentrout. Special effects, Gregory Mee. We have uh, Irish and Hammerstep choreography by Garrett Coleman and Jason Remus. We have uh, the musical staging by Alex Sanchez. Production stage manager, Karen Meek. Music supervision, music direction, and orchestrations by Jason Howland. And Jason Howland wrote the music. So who is music supervising, writing the music, directing the music, and orchestrating the music? It's all Jason Howland. Choreography by Bill T. Jones, directed by Moises Kaufman. This had its world premiere in January 2019 at Berkeley Rep Theater. And it's based on the musical Hard Times. So it's based on another musical, which is kind of cool. So um, we will we won't have to go too much into the plot because if you're listening to this then you've seen it I hope um, there's no streaming option for this there's no other production anywhere this is just the Broadway production so um, just letting you all know that this is set in the Civil War it's a period piece musical um, set in 1863 which is kind of right smack in the middle of the Civil War I think mm-hmm. I think it was kind of just getting started maybe around that time um, and New York. And I think it's so interesting when we think of Civil War, we think of Gettysburg, we think of the South, we think of the Mason-Dixon line, we think of things like that. When we think of New York, we sometimes forget what was going on in New York during that time, right? And this really explores the immigration status of a lot of people, people migrating north, yeah. uh, and what the city was dealing with. And I think that's very, very, very cool. And Paradise Square is based on a real actual part of Manhattan that was a place where Two different cultures were kind of coming together here, the African-American community and Irish immigrants, along with other immigrants. I mean, he's mainly talking about Irish in this piece. Yes. But it was cool to see those two worlds, no pun intended, there were two worlds, coming together and experiencing life together and love and living and and entertaining and just living. And, and, and respecting. Respecting and mm-hmm. having a safe space to live their life. Mm-hmm. Um I'm, I think what's fascinating to me, let's get into the musical in a second, but I think what's fascinating to me about doing something like this is we're taught so many textbook things in school about the Civil War, mm-hmm. and we forget the underground safe spaces for people, and that there were really wonderful people creating safe spaces for gay community, for black community, for immigrant community, 
for the Jewish community, for so many communities of people. There were safe places for people to gather and live their life, mainly in quiet and underground. And so I think it's nice to celebrate the really good things happening in war and in times of of that. So I will say that the premise of this, the idea of this, the story of this is, I think, timely and important and a part of American history that why not? Why not educate people on something like this? Right, and of course it's a part of American history because watch, this was in Civil War 1863, and then watch how far we've come from that, but how close we still are to it. It was only 150 years ago, maybe 160 years ago. It wasn't that long ago. You know? Right, but if you relate it to things that happened in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s, 2000s, every decade Has, something yeah. needs a – a place, a safe place for a group mm-hmm. of people to hide or feel welcome or be themselves. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I find also interesting about this piece. It's like, yeah, I, I didn't go in expecting to kind of hear a story like this. Yes. And and I think it was important to tell the story with as many people on stage. I yeah. think it was really great. I mean, I, there had to have been over 30 people in this show, which for a Broadway show nowadays is usually pretty rare to see that. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of people. I will say um, at this performance, the role of Annie Lewis, one of the leading roles we had, we saw played by Kennedy Caldwell, um, not Chilena Kennedy. So that was um, one thing I wanted to say. She was wonderful. Kennedy wonderful. was Kennedy, uh Oh, was our, wonderful. Uh, her sister is our... Is a singer uh, from, from a concert. When we did our rework concert. <laughs> Caitlin, yes, Caitlin. Yes. Shout out. So, uh, yeah, we've worked with her sister before, for sure. Um, let's do a few shout outs on some of these performance. Well, actually, what are your thoughts as a whole, as a musical? Now, we talked about how important and wonderful this story is. How did this work for you as a musical, just from start to finish, and your overall thoughts on a stage as a stage musical production? Hmm. I feel like I'm going to go more in depth throughout this podcast, but as a whole, I guess I'm a little on the fence with the production. Okay. Um, Cause I don't know if it was fully ready for its Broadway run yet. I think there were a lot of great moments, but I do think it needs some editing at times mm. and I can go into more detail about this, but it's good. It wasn't spectacular. Uh huh. So that's my kind of like on the fence. For me, I feel like, it was two, it runs two hours and 45 minutes, which is pretty long. Unless I'm seeing like Les Mis, which comes in around that time, Phantom might come in around some of the some shows do, like don't get me wrong. And I've seen, I even think like the producers comes in at that time, like some some big mega shows do come in long like that. But, but when you're right, seeing a lot are, of, sh- but those are mega shows that right. have been running for right. so long and they're edited and they're clean and crisp and cut. Yeah. I'm saying this, this could have been trimmed. I think they could have removed it. Was like one song or two songs too many in each act, I feel. Yeah. And some of the music was wonderful. I will say, I, I did really love some, I was really honing in on the lyrics and this and the music. I was really nice i thought it was just a little too long in the plot which wasn't too thick of a plot could have been told a little shorter so i'm not saying it needed to be as short as a whole one act it should be two acts well i find that sometimes with new shows and new works like this we we try to hit hit the boxes so meaning how much choreo can I get on the stage? How many musical numbers can I get on the stage? How many people can I get on the stage? How many lighting effects can I get on the stage? How much scenery can I get yeah. on the stage? So it looks like there's more than there actually yeah. is. And unfortunately, I think that's kind of what this show comes down to. How much can we throw at an audience to maybe distract them from something that might not be the best show? And, and, and 
have I seen worse things than this? Sure. You yeah. know, um, I don't think it's a bad show. No, it's not. I, I actually enjoyed the show. Right. That's I why just, it had a lot of moments. Yeah, there was w- some wonderful moments. I mean, um, we have like Joaquina Calacongo was just brilliant in the role. I thought she was so commanding in what she did. Her songs were wonderful. She has a tremendous voice. Um, yes. She plays Nellie O'Brien. Yes. The bar owner's and, wife. And let's talk about the bar for a second. Here's my thoughts. When you think, when you see something like Hades Town, where it takes place mainly in this like main scenery, and you have this huge, wonderful, beautiful set. Yeah. To me, it's like the name of this show is Paradise Square. It's about this bar at the Five Points here, in par- and the name is Paradise Square. If the name of your show is Paradise Square, and all, most of your show is taking place in the bar, wouldn't you have this really beautiful, elaborate, detailed? Set. I mean, like, there was, like, a few bottles sitting behind the bar. It was this, like, light uh, spinning thing. It just seemed like bare bones, like a skeleton of a bar. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, if a lot of people went here, there would be a lot more tables and chairs and it'd be food and drinks and it'd be this big – it would be, like, detailed, the set. Yeah. And the set seemed like – I know there was, like, the wall was projection use in the back. Um, but that seemed really exposed, and they could have built. I just feel like this set was like eighty percent done. <laughs> I feel like it wasn't hundred percent done. And when I can see into the wings, which I could, and I was sitting center, I know. and I could see some crew back there. And I know they're in previews right now, but I could see some people. I'm like, I don't, are there scenery sightline issues here? I can only imagine what the people way left and way right were seeing if we were sitting center and seeing. There were definitely, uh, yeah. I mean, at one point. I saw five crew members literally walk onto the stage yeah. and pull the scenery yeah. off. And I was like, but it was an automatic moving stage for a lot and of I was too, like, So I wasn't understanding. Wait, if it's moving on the tracks, it's either two things. One, they actually do that. Or two, it, the tracks weren't minute, moving. It didn't work right. Or whatever. So <clears throat> interesting there, but um, yeah, why don't, we go through some of the cast. Yeah. I mean, we we could talk we, – we were just talking a little bit about um, Joaquina. I mean, yeah. we've seen her in Slave Play. She was yes. in Color Purple. This is, a, I think, a Tony-nominated performance for her. Oh, I could for sure. totally see her getting Tony-nominated for this. To me, her big numbers, the end of Act 1 and the end of Act 2, they were like so close to busting through the wall and they didn't – go 100% for me. They were like, great. And I was like, wow, what a good song. Wow, what a good voice. But I wasn't like, whoa, oh my God. It didn't leave me like, oh. It it just was like, okay, wow, she's great, period. Like, you know, that was just like how I felt leaving. And she's so wonderful in the show. I just wish... Do I don't want to that, say she was holding back, but I wish there was a little more of like a punch through on the emotion of some of those songs. But do you think that was the – so the two songs are Heaven Save Our Home. That was the end of Act 1. Yes. And then the burn. end of Act 2 was Let It Burn. Okay. So do you think it was the song though? Probably. Or, it was probably both. I mean maybe it was – yeah. Did yeah. the song have the build for I'm not her really, to go like, there? I'm not saying it's her. Right. It seemed like the song didn't push through. I mean we're talking about – I mean we're talking about the composer here – my playbill. The composer Jason Howland, yeah. who writes the musical Little Women, who who had to give Sutton Foster the Act One finale song "Astonishing," which I think is one of like the greatest songs ever written <laughs> as an Act One finale, because I think "Astonishing" is brilliant and it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds and it's there. And I was like, where was that for the Act One finale song? It was close. Don't get me wrong; it was really close. It was like yeah. a great song, but it wasn't like what I'm here from the Color Purple right. or. 
some of these like or uh, like actual burn from Hamilton. Yeah, when it pushes through the uh, pushes through, if that makes sense, you know. I right, and I didn't know how. I didn't personally know how to feel while she was singing. I'm like, I want to feel for her. Mm-hmm. She's giving me the emotion. She's belting her face off. But I don't know if the song does the justice for her mm. that she needs. I'm going to blame the song. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm going to blame the song Some here. Some of the because, songs at times. And be, and because I'm, you even said it yourself during this. Her husband just dies. And then we have a song about... How do we save our home? Right. To me, I didn't really understand. Like, she lost this husband who we had a whole song with earlier in the show. And then she talks about how do we save this home? And I'm like, I understand this was her home with her husband. So I understand the ties that he has to this home. But wouldn't the song have been – I would have wanted the song to be like, wow, life is really hard for me right now. I'm mourning, but I'm going to pick up my pieces and I'm going to go through life as a strong woman and I'm going to do this. Instead of like – Save us. You know, it seemed a little like I'm going to try. And I was like, it's interesting choices for the writing to take her, put her on a bench drinking, sad about her husband, and then not have a moment. And then, right. And then she's talking to, and it's about the other character and saving him. And then she sings her song. I was like, something about the structure of that didn't work for me in a flow. But this is going back to what I said earlier about, let me check the boxes. So we needed to have the opening number be big and vibrant yeah. and get you into the show. And then we needed that act one finale that was strong and powerful in this. And then fun opening act two where we end act uh, the, yeah. the whole show with the power ballad, 11 o'clock number. Boom. She's done. Yeah. And it's like, mm, I, I just find sometimes these structures of these shows, it's like they just try to hit the boxes. Yeah. Like, open up with townspeople. Let's say we're going to tell the story. We tell the story. And then we also end it. And that's our story. Yeah. We did it. Yeah. It's kind of like, mm, I, it seems a little lazy. Yeah. I, I, I thought the when the show first started with the video of the present day, I thought it was going to be kind of cool. It was going to be like, if you know the musical Aida, it starts in the, in the museum in the present day. And then you go back in time to tell the story of Aida. And then you go back at the very end and you come back to the present day. I didn't feel like we bookended that. Yeah. We started, we see like Starbucks and we see the modern Paradise Square. Why don't we end the show with, and, and what is Paradise Square today? I mean, we know it's gone, right? But what, what and how do we live this legacy on? And what is the, what do we take as an audience into the future? Well, think of like In the Heights. In the Heights does that somewhat. A little bit. They where he's say, telling like, the story throughout and like from yeah. his start. And then who's he telling the yeah. story to at the end? Yeah. You know, where was this? Where, where was that moment of like the modern day learning about the ground that they're either working on? Especially since on. you did it with projections at the very, very beginning. Yeah. You have the projections to do it, you know. It kind of like, we kind of like forgot at the end. And then it was just like, the Paradise Square went away, and then they sang about it, and then it ended. And I'm like, okay, but we, you started the show with the present day. Why don't you bookend it? I don't know. Right. That's what I would have thought. And for us, we were it. like, okay, does Paradise Square still exist? Yeah, yeah. and we were like kind of looking five up. points still there? Right, like if you're going to start the show with the modern day, tell us a little. Like, you might want to teach us for 30 seconds about like this is where it is today. This was the street corners that it was at. Who you know? lives there now? Yeah, yeah. What well, what community of people right. live there now, right? You know? Um Going back to actors, though, for a second, I will say, yes, um, there was – Sidney DuPont and A.J. Shively are dancing their 
bodies off in this show. They are killing it. Every other song, they're dancing, dancing, dancing. And we'll get to the dancing in a second because I think Vocally that's a really killing it. The Reverend Nathaniel Stampley's voice is. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I I was just like, can we get a big song from him? Like yeah. a big, big solo. I was really hoping for that. He's really talented. And, and I think that was one thing that they didn't really know what to do with the characters. Obviously, we know that Nellie O'Brien is like the lead. Yeah. And she gets her moments. But everyone else kind of had like, I hate to say it, but like almost half-assed moments. There were short, there was a lot of short, quick songs yeah. instead of a few big songs. I will also say this. Was there comedic relief at times? Yes. I was really looking for like a saloon comedy number, particularly from the Annie Lewis character, because she had such great, like, I'm going to, she's got the gun. She's, she's got having the baby. And and I was like, this could have been the, like, um, uh, like the many a new day from Oklahoma, like the the girl number, or it could have been like the uh, just a comedy number. She like could have the, talked about how I run this place <laughs> and I'm, or like um that away from curtains, yeah. right? Like the saloon, the big comedy number, and I feel like the big numbers were all about like getting the fest started and the dancing and like and and showing the culture, which is so important. And I'm glad we did that for so many times. But I would have loved one. I mean, when you do big shows, you always want that one number that like, if you're going to do a show for two hours and 45 minutes, I'm sure you can find four or five minutes to do a really big slapstick fun comedy number. And I I don't know. I guess it wasn't a comedy subject matter, but I I don't know. Well, that's where I kind of sit on the fence with period pieces to begin with, because we've had a couple of these now come and it's either we try to be so literal with the period piece or we just go full musical. Okay. So it's like we have Amazing Grace and it's like so period. And then we have something rotten, which is so like comedy. Right. Like, Where's the middle ground? Well, I will say like Les Mis is really sad. But Master of the House is like this huge comedy number. But that's musical. You know, that's the moment right. in a musical that we need. But o- o- Oliver is really sad at times. But Oom Pa Pa yeah. is this like awesome bar number. Right. Like in the, it kicks off act two with this, like, it means nothing to the plot. Master of the House kind of does. But like some of these big songs, we, if, if you're doing a two hour truncated show, sure, got that number. But I'm saying if you're going to do all these songs, I just, I would have loved some, and it could have been dancing and it could have been fun. And I just think it would have been funny if there was some like comedy one-liner zingers in there from a character. And we were just like laughing. They were all drinking and having a good time. The good times (laughs) there were shown, but it just, I would have maybe liked something like that. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about dancing though. Yes. Um, We, we have a few, it's interesting when I look through the playbill, Bill T. Jones does the choreography, wins a Tony Award for Fela, wins a Tony Award for Spring Awakening, is a brilliant choreographer. I, I think the choreography that he puts on the, on his stages are brilliant. We have Irish and Hammerstep choreography by Garrett Coleman and Jason Remus. Mm-hmm. And then we have musical staging by Alex Sanchez. So essentially, based on the billing that I'm seeing here, I'm seeing four choreographers slash staging people, in, in addition to a director, mm-hmm. right? So there's a director and there's four people doing choreo. Are there different styles of dance represented here? Yes. Do I think they bring those in together? There was some songs, I think it was maybe the opening, where they like intertwined both so well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is brilliant. Like the Irish step dancing all, and, and the, um, the all the different cultures of dance coming together. Yeah. And then there were so many songs where it was like just one or just the other. 
And to me, I was blown away by the choreo. I definitely think it will get a Tony nomination. It was really, really wonderful. Did I think that there was maybe, I don't want to say too much, but was there a little bit every single song that these two dancers, Sydney Dupont and A.G. Shively had, they were dancing. And I'm like, I don't know if we need that in every single song you're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I find, so I think dance represents something in this show that's kind of under, you know, underlying here where we're like, what dance is representing the cultures coming together and developing new, a new culture together. And what I think they were trying to throw in our face at times was, okay, this number is getting driven by the dance. This dance is explaining the number. And I just, I don't, that's where I think it was coming too much because in the moments where we're supposed to be having a moment with someone who's singing, there's dance happening. Mm. And it was a distraction at times for me. So I don't know. It, it works in some songs. It for sure works. Yeah. But then it was like every song was about the dancing. And it was like, once again, I think we could have, it, it works. It was just a lot. It was a lot. And I was like, wow, they're dancing again. Okay. Wow. This is really, really great. But, but- the dance, it's weird. It almost made it seem like these guys were coming to New York to become dancers. Yeah, I know. I know. And I was I like, know. this is not the plot. Yeah. This is not what also, this is about. Also, to me, if you're going to do an extremely dance-heavy show like this, and you're going to set it in a period, yeah. move that set way back yeah. and clear your stage. When West Side Story does the ballet, the stage is cleared. In Carousel, when they do the ballet, you Give your dancers, like, to me, I would have, like, do an homage to old musical theater and do, like, an eight-minute huge bare stage dance number for a long way. And showcase that and take us out of it for a second and let us drift into this. Be- Instead of, here's three minutes of dance, here's four minutes of dance, here's two minutes of dance, here's four minutes of dance. It, it was, well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, the other issue for me is I can't stand... When people are standing on a stage and they look like they're in a high school musical production. (laughs) Why? Because of the way they're standing? They're just standing there. Mm. I think that's bad direction. Mm. Get them off the stage or get them in the dance number. That's a musical. Well, it's hard when you're doing these bar scenes and bystanders are drinking and eating and watching. And, you know, I get it. It's too literal, but I'm watching a musical. I want to see what Mm. I want to see in America. They're not standing on the stage looking at five people dancing. They're all dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. They're all dancing. Well, I will say it was very dance heavy and they're doing the dance well. It is choreographed very well. And the cultures of music intertwined with the different styles of dance are cool. Because how many times do you see a musical and it's like all contemporary or it's all tap or it's all jazz? And I did feel like there was like odes to some Agnes DeMille, some... Some, um, a little bit of a Fosse at times even. I mean, there was definitely odes to the um, cultures, of course. I mean, it goes back to that. But there was like a little bit of theater at dancing at times too. It was a little bit of everything, you know? Yeah, I thought what was also really cool is just like the meaning of dance in general. Yeah. So we have the Irish step dancing and we have the African culture dancing and they're meeting together. And at one point during the fesh, you see that they had both been influenced by each other. They're both almost dancing the same way. Yeah. Because they... Well, it shows that these two different communities that maybe we would have never thought really actually um, 
lived and worked and, and gathered together like that, it, it means we're more similar than we are different as in a world, in the world today. As we are so divided today in the world, we realize, look how similar we are. Mm-hmm. We all celebrate. How many times do you go to different weddings and when you, and the culture wedding has a dance? Yeah. It's, we all have dance. The Italians have the Tarantella. Uh, Jewish culture has like the Hora, mm-hmm. right? Like Irish has the like wonderful Irish step dancing. Like every culture has different Dances that represent the culture, we're all so much more similar than we are different. Yeah. And it was cool to see these two cultures coming together and learning about that. And learning about things like the draft and how African-American uh, people couldn't be drafted at that time but wanted to go into war and fight. And they were saying, I had a few lines of that. The draft was 25 to 45 and how people didn't want to go. And, these, and, the, and the insurrection that happened. And that was cr- – I didn't even know like this huge deadly insurrection happened in New York. I, isn't it crazy I didn't know that? Right. Um, you know, and and we think of the Civil War as like the battlegrounds, the battle. Well, a hundred and something people died in New in the middle of Manhattan mm-hmm. because of an insurrection. I mean, that's crazy that a lot of people don't know that. And to tell that story, I think, is very important. And I think one thing that's kind of overlooked in this musical too is like they're singing this song about wanting to fight for the country. Well, half are singing about how they don't want to fight for the country, and the other half are singing about what they do want to fight for the country, which is very interesting because at that time, African American. Men were not allowed to fight in the war. They were not allowed to get drafted. And they were not allowed to fight. And the Irish, Polish, German, all of those immigrants were drafted or did want to fight or had to fight in the war. And they didn't want to. They didn't want to fight for their freedom. Why? Because they were already free. Yeah. And the African-American culture was not free. They were still slaves in the South. This is why we're fighting this war. Yeah. And it was just interesting that they did want to actually fight. They were like, no, let me go fight in the battle. And it it was interesting that people and rich people were able to pay their way out. And there was things like that. Yes, it was just very very interesting today that we're still dealing with things like this where it's a rich man's world. Mm -hmm. And I will say something else. I, I, I really, really want to bring up this point. I know we're getting close to the end here. When you see love songs on stage and you see people falling in love, and you see two people, and maybe they're both white, or they're both black, or they're white and black, and whoever's playing the character, it's about the love. This was one of the first times I have ever seen on a mainstream Broadway stage a love song written for interracial couples, sung by interracial couples. Mm-hmm. Not like, oh, well, it's a love song in like the music man, and it just so happens that they're both white, or they're both black, or one's white and one's black. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like no. this song was written for an interracial couple to sing about their love for each other over a hundred years ago. That is amazing, amazing to me. Yeah, I was great. so blown away by the beauty of that. The and I was awestruck by that. And I was just so enthralled by look at these all these couples and when they would do the slow dancing, the intimate slow dance. I'm like, oh my gosh, how beautiful that is. And you see all these interracial couples of falling in love together, which at the time, like, wow, wow. Like, so right, this is where we go back to on period in general. We normally don't think about these things actually yeah, happening yeah, during that time. Yeah. So it was nice to actually know, like, yes, it was 1863, but yes, there were LGBTQ couples yes, out there. Yes, there, there a, were interracial couples yes. out there. There were people living out of telling the story. There there, here's the story of a black woman owning a bar in Midtown yes. Manhattan. In, in Manhattan, like, yes, tell these stories. Yes, tell these stories. Yes, tell these stories. And and, and I do think that this story is important. Mm. 
And if this one doesn't last, keep telling stories like this. Yeah. Because there's probably something else out there just as good that could be told in the same way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So. It's wonderful. Oh, oh, we're just about out of time. These half hours fly by. They <laughs> do. Well, yes, what's your recap, your one-minute recap roundup on the show as a whole and thoughts? Okay. Recap is not perfect, not bad. I sit on the fence. I do think most people should go and see this show. I, mean, I don't know if everyone's going to love it. I think you have to be kind of that theater mind to really dive into it and see what the show is bringing. But I do think there's a lot of great moments happening on this stage. And definitely Joaquina Kalongo. Kalongo, yes. Kalongo. Definitely go and see for her. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. She's doing some great moments. She's going to only evolve more and more throughout this run. I think there's a lot of things. I mean, it's still in preview, so there could be editing. So things that we're talking about now sure. might not even be in the sure. show anymore. Sure. But uh, I do think there's a lot of great moments. And it's very um, current to our time right now, you know, with a potential war happening in this world. It's I'm sitting there and I'm like, Oh wow, this is very, it it just fits the time. Yes. I will say in a world where we're constantly seeing pop musicals and, or, or, you know, jukebox musicals, I should say, and movies to stage, movies to stage, to see a really original show like this is refreshing, it's timely, it's what Broadway needs, coming back with Broadway reopening again, it's a huge, if you like big spectacle dance numbers, if you like a great story, it's really important. I don't think it's perfect, I do think it has a few moments where it really needs to be tightened up and cleaned up. If they could trim about 15 minutes off of it, I think it would really help and just Mm -hmm. tighten it up a little bit, and we'll see if they do, but um, overall, I I didn't hate it. I thought it was nice, and I do recommend people go see it. It was yeah. it's an important story, and really, really important des- design choices and acting choices here, and uh, support these shows. I, I really hope people do. Yeah, it's a show shows. that's going to need the support. It's a huge cast yeah. and a huge team. Yeah, so. You know, give them your money. Yeah. <laughs> give them your All money. All the shows are coming back, everybody. I know. Well, that's just about out of the time, all the time we have today. So we hope you enjoyed listening. Please check us out. We're on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and t- now TikTok at Half Hour Podcast. That's at Half Hour Podcast. You could also follow us, Two Worlds Entertainment, at Two Worlds Ent. Get the latest on what we're doing um, with Two Worlds Entertainment and the latest on our podcast episodes. We have some more Broadway shows coming up we have some more pop music coming up we have lots of things the spring is here and the world is happening with entertainment so we are happy for that so thank you all for listening uh we hope we uh have you join us again next time and until then i'm signing off for now i'm richie and i'm jeff saying ta-ta Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.